You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good evening, everyone. Thanks, band. I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And my goal tonight, well, one of my goals, is to reclaim Psalm 139. Um, You know, for many Christians, this particular psalm is uh, so important to us. Um, I'd I'd probably put this portion of Scripture next to John 3.16, um, who here likes Family Fortunes? The quiz show. Have you ever seen Family Fortunes? Four of you. Okay, so um, they, they do the survey, ask 100 people the most popular answer to a question, and they buzz in. And if, if it was going to be like, what's the most popular favorite Bible verse or passage? I think, I think Psalm 139 would definitely be uh, a top answer. Maybe win an exercise bike. Um, for those of you who've seen the quiz, if not, forget it. Um, and so I'd, I'd love for us to reclaim tonight Psalm 139 from kind of the Christian t-shirt stand and away from the, the coffee cup and the photo frame and just see the richness and the majesty and the truth. And uh, th- this passage is, is so profound. It's transformative. It is stunning. It is beautiful. I've had some of the most amazing, uh, most impacting times with Jesus in this text. Um, one of the most amazing moments I had actually was prophetically speaking about this text. Um, I was at an event and I was about to preach a whole message on a, another passage of scripture and I just felt like the Lord say, stand up and read out Psalm 139. And there's a beautiful bit in Psalm 139 which says this, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, verse 13. And Unbeknown to me, there was actually a young girl who had come into that meeting for the very first time, come into church, and this young girl was pregnant, and she'd booked an abortion for the very next day. And when I read out Psalm 139, the Spirit of God fell on her, and she canceled that abortion. And after the baby was born, she came and brought him to meet me. And it was one of the most beautiful, profound moments of my life. And it just shows, you know, when God tells you just to break from routine and familiarity and just do something that he's given you a nudge to do, it's so, so important that we do it because it may mean nothing to us, but to someone else it could be their miracle. And indeed it was for this mum and her son. The Psalms are so apt and ripe for this season that we're in that as a church, if you're in uh, one of our home groups and and circles, this is uh, what we're looking at at the moment, the book of Psalms. And I think it's really to help us process. Psalms gives us language to process, particularly with the season that we've been in with this pandemic. Um, Language to help us praise God, language to help us lament. And really, the Psalms are broadly divided into two types. They're either Psalms to help us praise God or to help us lament. And Psalm 139 really fits into the category of 
the latter, you have psalms that is this a kind of a hallelujah psalm? Or is this, God, why are you letting this happen to me? <laughs> and this is where we find ourselves in Psalm 139. And it's pretty obvious looking at verses 19 to 22. And I encourage you to read this and meditate on this passage this week. Is that you will see that David's enemies, King David, who wrote this, his enemies are giving him such a hard time. And he wants God to act swiftly to sort them out. Have you ever prayed prayers like that? Lord, just sort them out. Just do something. And he can't quite grasp or understand, and this is very normal for God, why God seems so slow in getting his act together and to sort things out. Much of Christian growth is in the process. It's in the journey, not the destination. So let me ask you a question this evening. I wonder, have you ever been falsely accused of something? Wrongly accused of something? I think it's one of the worst things in the world to happen to you. I, I could, as certainly as a pastor, a handful of occasions where I've been wrongly and falsely accused of things and it is a difficult thing to process. It's a painful thing to bear, especially, and this always happens, if I'm honest, God instructs your heart and therefore your mouth to be silent. Do not respond in the midst of accusation. And the heart of it, and this is what goes through your mind, at the heart of it is you just want to cry out to the people or to the person that's falsely accusing you is you don't know me. You don't know me and you don't know that the very thing you're speaking about me, you don't know that actually to be true. And you, that's where you want to respond. You want to go on social media and say, you don't know me. And um, there could be a, a hundred things that you do know about me that are true and could have said. But the very thing that you're saying actually isn't. And I wonder if you've ever been in that position in your life. In your life, and in light of this, King David, whose enemies are after him, who's been wrongly accused, Holy Spirit inspired, he puts pen to paper and writes Psalm 139. Most passages that we read in the Bible, you start at verse one and you follow through. But I think this psalm makes most sense when we start at the end and then we get help from the beginning. And so I'd love for us to start at the final verse because the final verse here is like the question rather than the answer and then the preceding verses are the answer. Verse 23 says this, his enemies are coming after him. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, in light of the lies and the untruths and the accusations and the hatred, his enemies are coming after him. Lord, they don't know me, but you know me. 
but you know me. How do we know God knows him? Let's start at verse one. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Here is David's response to the accusation and to his enemies. And his response is a tribute to the attributes of God. These are attributes of the nature of God that are uniquely attributed to him. Three things. His omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence. Three unique hallmarks of God that if we grasp in our hearts and in our lives is an absolute game changer. God is, first of all, all-knowing. Secondly, God is everywhere. And thirdly, God is all-powerful. For many, objectively, this psalm can be seen on the surface as almost threatening. Kind of like when someone says, I know where you live. I don't know if you've ever had someone like that. We did. It was one of our old neighbors. And um, in the last address where we used to live, and just up the road, um, this particular person didn't really like us. In fact, he didn't really like anyone on the street. So we didn't take it as spiritual warfare or take it that personally. And this guy had a go at my wife, Joni, and uh, he said to her, send your husband round. So Joni came and told me this, and I'm like, I'm not going around there. You, you can go back around there. I'm going nowhere near him. He, he's, he's absolutely mad. And um, he kind of was, he was speaking to Joni in a, a threatening tone, threatening behavior. I was saying, look, I know where you live. I know your house, I know your car, I know your family. Intimidation. Now the question is this, does David see this as a threat or a blessing? 
Is he issuing a complaint or is he exuding praise? And what we should view this psalm as, and indeed view God as, is that this is not a cause for irritable complaint, but it is a, a source of immense comfort that God is all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. And it's one thing, isn't it, to read this psalm and know in our minds that God is these three things. Of course we know God knows everything. Of course we know God is all-powerful. Of course we know he's everywhere. But to know this personally in our hearts is so much more powerful. It's the limitless God, the size of God, the majesty of creator God applied to the singular life, you and I, that is so powerful here in this text. He, he just doesn't know everything. He knows you and he knows me. It's deeply, deeply personal. Let me ask you tonight, who knows the real you? Who knows the real you? Not the mask version of you or the Instagram version of you or the projected you, not even the worst of you because many people may just know us and the worst of us, but who knows the real you? Your successes and your failures, the fun part, the boring part, the likes, the dislikes, the private, the public, the essence of who you are. And sometimes we find this in church life is that many of us won't front up with our stuff and we do hide behind kind of a metaphorical mask because we don't want to be rejected. What we want is to be loved and accepted. And so we have a projection of ourselves to be acceptable to people. Indeed, we do this to God. You know, when I started dating Joni, um, very early on, we went for a walk and I shared with her some of my private and personal struggles. Can I just say this is not recommended for stage one dating. For any young people out here, or old people, who are looking for a spouse, you need to start with what films you like and what's your favorite Bible translation. Okay, that, you know, people, most people, if you just spill everything in the first half an hour, they run a mile. Can I just say that? But we did everything that we shouldn't have done. And maybe that's because we knew deep down from the first time we saw each other that we were going to be married. And for me to share my struggles and for Joni to say, it's okay, um, you've got me now. We'll walk through this together was just the most amazing thing. Utterly liberating to know that you see the real me and you care. I think she loved me at that early stage. And so, when someone knows the real you, it is so powerful. And maybe you could number that at 20 or 15 or 10 or five, or even just one person that knows you, the real you, Here's what I want to say is that the omniscient, all-knowing God knows you. 
That changes everything. He knows your thoughts before you even think them. Just think about that. Even before you're thinking about it now, he knows what you're thinking about. He knows your words before you speak them. That should be a challenge, actually, also to how we speak. He knows when you sit down and get up. He knows you're going out and you're lying down. He knows you, every detail, and he loves you. And he says that he's familiar with all of our ways, all our little idiosyncrasies and, and habits. Again, what was so powerful to me recently, um, Joni organized a little video with family and friends to say happy birthday to me recently. And it's the kind of thing you do now in this COVID world. And um, I just sat there and wept and wept because these things you don't ever think about yourself. I'm not great at self-reflection. And so for people to say kind things and to see things about you you don't often think about yourself. And it was about my ways. It was just about what makes me, me. You know, seven to eight billion people on this planet, every single one of us are uniquely made. And every single person is born an original, but many die a copy because they look at someone else's life and someone else and they want to be like that in terms of our looks or personality or our likes and dislikes and what's popular. It's very much the way with young people, we have it with our kids and just processing it just because a thousand people say one thing doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes you have to say and do the right thing just because it's the right thing and so often you'll be the only one who says it. But we live for the audience of one. We live before the God who is all-knowing. He's not just everywhere, but he is with you. You can't be anywhere where God is not. If, if I go to the hospital, God, you are there. If I go to a funeral, Jesus, you are there. If I visit my child in prison, you are there in the prison. God is with us not sometimes or most of the time. He is with us all the time. Not just when I feel his presence or sense his presence. Not just when I'm having a good Christian day and in my mind I'm performing well or I'm having a miserable day and I've given again into temptation. Whatever it looks like for you, whatever a good day or a bad day, we are not chosen because of our performance. Chosenness is about the one doing the choosing, not the one who's been chosen. And because God is who he is, that makes all the difference. Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Go to the heavens, go to the depths. Verse 18, when I'm awake, I'm still with you. And of course, for the follower of Jesus, we now have his spirit indwelling in us. We have his manifest presence. Not just the omnipresence of God, we have his known presence, relational, blessed presence in us. And as we gather like this uniquely, we know God's presence because, as Paul said to the church in Corinth, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And I think the combination of his omniscience and his omnipresence meets here with his power, his omnipotence, that we are created by him and for him. It talks about in the book of Romans that people are without excuse when it comes to God because he has revealed himself in creation and in conscience. And for those who become Christians, he has revealed himself in the world, but also in his word. So there is power in creation. Verse 13 to 15, I alluded to it earlier. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Our bodies testify to the reality of God and the wonder of God. Think about our bones. We're born with 300 bones, and as we grow in age, they fuse to 206 bones. Our human brains, 100 billion nerve cells. Our eyes work like a camera. One of the most expensive cameras in the world is 50,000 pounds, has 150 megapixels. And our eye takes a picture with a resolution of 576 megapixels. The human heart starts beating 22 days after conception and will pump, in the average lifetime, 1 million barrels of blood. It's incredible. So our God, if you like, is the great researcher because he searches that which he already knows and he loves us with an everlasting love. And the searching God in us causes us to search back. That is the revelation of King David. That is why so much of the Psalms is about seeking his face, about longing for God, searching for God hungering and thirsting after God. The great searcher in us is causing us to search back. The psalmist wants us to know God more, to love him more, to be with him. And I really believe, as I draw this to a close, that this is one of the, the great revelations we need to have in our hearts and our lives, particularly in this pandemic, and that is of the size of God. This season has for many shrunk our vision of God to fit in to our circumstances and our world. And when our vision of the size of God shrinks, so too does our faith and our dreams, and it begins to atrophy. And eventually we just, our lives begin to look like very much like everyone else's, morph and align into the same place and discipleship of the world. And we need, as the church, to do everything within our hearts and lives to fight this. We need to reclaim the size of our God and the revelation of his indwelling in us. We need to enlarge the, the human heart 
because the world and our flesh and the enemy is always seeking to bring us to a place where we shrink our hearts. And we do this by seeking and seeing God for who he is. How do, you, how do you grow on the inside? How do we get a bigger heart and a bigger vision of who God is? It comes through the knowledge of God. And it's this, this is how we become overcomers. This is how what was maybe our, our weakened faith becomes stronger. This is how we're not disheartened and given into disappointment. And we come to a profound place when we, as followers of Jesus, come face to face with the almighty God and the size of who he is, that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere, and we see the size of us, and we just bow down and we recognize that we do not bargain with God. You don't bargain with him. Most Christians try and bargain, if I just do this and do that, maybe this will happen. doesn't work. We don't bargain with God, we submit and we surrender and we bow down and we say, Lord, we come in humility under the almighty hand of God. And when we do that, we live with a right perspective on him, ourselves, our lives. Dreams and faith begin to get bigger. We start to break out of some of those inhibitions and constraints in our lives. We begin to start seeing the Lord do amazing, wondrous exploits in and through us because we've gotten out of the way and we're allowing the supernatural, holy, perfect, almighty God begin to work through us, his church. And so maybe the trials and the testing and the sifting and the difficulties of this last season could actually be best surmised in verse five where it says, you hem me in before and behind. I don't know about you, but certainly in the last 18 months, I've felt hemmed in before and behind. It's like God just has kept us here so that we can focus for long enough just to see him again and not be distracted and see how awesome he is, and that we're not in control of our lives, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's on the throne. And we've got, come to a place where nothing else works and he's brought us back to God. And I think in this has been great preparation. God is setting his church up for something incredible. We um, just moved into our new house over a month ago and we had some painters around for two weeks to paint the front of our house. It took two weeks and the last couple of days they did the painting, it was about five coats of paint. These guys specialize in restoring Victorian houses. So most of the time, three quarters of their time was spent preparing the sills and the window frames for the painting. And I felt like this was kind of an analogy, an illustration of maybe our hearts and our lives as a church. It's felt like a lot of stripping back. You know, the more you strip back, there's a bit of dry rot there and a bit of wet rot there and we need to fix this and replace that. And 
It's been painful and it's been time-consuming. And will, this, will we ever get to the good stuff? Will we ever get to the pain and see the nice finished product? But much of God's best work in our lives eventually looks like the end product. But most of it is spent in process and preparation and being stripped, taken back. Because God knows our original design. He formed us. He knew us. He chose us. And he's painful. And we're like that clay on the potter's wheel. And he's, if you've ever seen them at work, it's like they're slamming it on the potter's wheel and shaping it. And it's painful. And you're like, oh, please stop it. <laughs> but he's forming something beautiful. He's forming jars of clay, which of course we know is all about showing off the treasure that's in the jar of clay, which is Christ. But it's about us being jars of clay fit for the master's use, refined, purified, ready for him so that we can be used for his glory in our generation. Most of our life and energy is driven by externals, by feelings, by circumstances. What's the latest thing in the news or social media what is the latest thing we can get behind but for the Christian the work is done in the hidden place the work is done in the private place the work is done in the internal it's an internal affair it's lived from the inside out and from that place becomes a self starter button it comes a life which is compelled from the inside out not based on feelings even people who, you made a good choice coming to church tonight and being together. People who may not come and worship and because they just thought, I don't have to. I can just go sit on the beach. It's a nice day. I can enjoy England being Croatia. But actually when you know that the Christian life goes deeper than that and it's, it's so much more and it's driven by, I'm a Christian the Bible tells me, do not give up meeting together. The saints need me. I need to be encouraged. I need to hear from the Lord. I need to worship him. I need Jesus. I need people. That's my driver. And it goes beyond being driven by our circumstances. And that goes for everything. It goes on in terms of how we give our money, in terms of how we do relationships, how we view our work, everything in our lives is driven from the inside out in terms of our discipleship. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon. Thank you.